Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. I'm thinking because I don't want to take very long this morning. But every time I have the opportunity to, to, to share the testimony of God in my world, or even when I have the privilege of hearing it from other people, I'm so overwhelmed by his goodness. You know, we grew up, my, I had one brother, my, my brother and I, in a really amazing home. Mom and dad, to this day, are still the greatest people that I know, right? They're generous, they're kind, they're loving, they're supporting, they're, they're just awesome. But we didn't grow up in a Christian home. The one reference that I remember having, just it's funny what sticks in life, right? The one reference that I remember having as a kid, we were driving home from the supermarket and we saw a neighborhood kid, one of the kids in the neighborhood, and mom made this, com- this comment. She goes, oh, there's such and such. He's a born-again Christian. I'm like, what? I thought there was just Christians. Mom, what's a born-again Christian? And she just offhandedly, right, said, oh, son, don't worry about it. That just means he's crazy. <laughs> like, great, great. But that stuck, right? So over a decade later, I'm with a friend who I work in the freezing works with who invites me to go to Australia on holiday for four weeks. We go over there and he says, we've got free accommodation. We can party. We can do whatever we want. I mean, I was just a normal, I thought, normal, rebellious 19-year-old. Right? Like, this is just how everybody does life. We party. We feel better a few days later. And we party again. But he failed to tell me that the people we were staying with, his sister and her husband, were born-again Christians. We turned up in their home for four weeks, right? And these guys were the most smiling, happy, full-on, Bible-quoting, Scripture-reading, sit at the dinner table, and they open the Bible and say, hey, do you know about this? I'm like, no, I've never heard that before in my life, right? They were just, it, it was their lifestyle. And I thought, oh, good, crazy people. <laughs> they were so gracious to us in their home. They invited us to every event that the church had going, and we continued to say no. Their, their congregation put on the the, the production Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. I know someone here must have seen that at some stage, a famous production that went around the Christian traps. And I'd never seen anything like it before. We, I, I, it was too hard to say yes to going to church, but we turned up to their production. And I remember the depiction through all of it is what happens at the end of someone's life. If they were a good person or a bad person, there was drug dealers, there was, there was good dads and bad parents and everything in between. And... and, and and it kind of depended on whether or not they knew Jesus as to what happened to them when they died. Right? I'm like, I'm sitting there trying to figure all this out. I'm going, well, right, boo, everybody's dying. <laughs> and he should go to heaven, but you've dragged him to hell. What are you doing? At the end of it, the, the, the guy leading the, the, the thing got up and he did what we know in Christian circles as an altar call. Anyone who wants to receive Jesus? I'm like, well, I want to find out, right? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't worry. He said, I won't embarrass you. So I stuck my hand up because no one was looking. 
Then he invited everyone who stuck their hands up to come out the front. I'm like, no, liar. <laughs> so I didn't go. There was a Thursday night, this, the following Sunday, because of what was depicted. When you see something of the truth, it awakens something on the inside of us. I didn't know what it was that made sense about what I'd seen in that production, but it awoke something within me that I had to find out more. So the following Sunday, I went to their church service, a church service of about 20 people who, again, they clapped raucously through every song. They grinned like Cheshire cats. They were hopping up and down. It was all white Australians, right? So no rhythm, but lots of enthusiasm. So, wow, this is really bizarre because I've never been in an environment like that. At the end of the service, they did the same thing. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm like, well, come on, guys. Everybody knows I'm the only one, right? So, yeah, here I am. And I went and I said the prayer. They got the whole church up to surround me, which I thought was a really odd thing to do. And then they all reached out to touch me. But they were a very Pentecostal church. I'm like, oh my God, I don't actually know what, no one's explained this to me. And so they're praying and they start speaking in this, this, this gibberish sounding language, or I didn't even know it was a language at that time. I'm like, man, this is, I, I don't know what they're doing. And so I was so overwhelmed in the moment that I began to try and shrink away from them and look for the exit. But any movement, I understand now what they thought was happening. But any movement from me, they thought, he's going down. And so they would pray louder. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I'm on my hands and knees at the end of this, feeling embarrassed and so out of sorts, right, that I go home and I lay in bed that night. And I remember saying to God, God, I've embarrassed myself. In front of all of these people, I said that I believed in you, but you've done nothing. If you don't do something to solidify my faith, I'm going to forget that this ever happened and we will never, we will never revisit this again. I didn't understand the weight of my ultimatum. That's why God is so gracious. And I went to sleep, right? About three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and, and, and I, like I, it's like I burst awake. And I was saying this one word over and over again with my hands stretched into the ear. I was crying out this, this word, Eli, 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 Eli. And I couldn't stop saying it. And I knew it was, I knew I was saying something but I didn't know what it was. Eventually it subsided and my hands came down and I was thinking, man, I'm having a weird dream. I feel this glowing sensation in the pit of my stomach. And earlier that day on the way home from church, I had been mocking the people that we were staying with for the gibberish sound that they were making as they prayed for me in the church. I'm like, what is that? Like, oh, it's speaking in tongues. It's a heavenly language. It's a language of angels. I'm calling it rubbish. <laughs> no one understood what you said. Do it now. And they wouldn't do it again. I got the Bible slap in the face when, when, when the guy driving the car turned around and said, well, 
Well, well, the Bible says not to cast your, your pearls before swine. Well, I don't know what that means, but it sounds insulting. <laughs> That's me told. And so here I am in the middle of the night with this glowing feeling in my, in my, in my, in my stomach. And I'm trying to convince myself that it's not real after this waking up with this strange word on my lips. And the more I convince, try to convince myself that it's not happening, the more intense the feeling becomes until it feels like there's something lodged in my throat that wants to escape from my body. I'm like, oh my God, right? I'm going to get help from my friend in the next room. So I open up my mouth to, to yell out, Miles, Miles, come and help me. And I just start speaking in the same gibberish sound that they were speaking over me in the church. So instead of going, Miles, help! Right? But it's uncontrollable. Maybe uncontrollable is the wrong word, but it was certainly uncontainable. I was so surprised by what was happening, I, I, I remember literally trying to gather the sound that was falling out of my mouth and force it back in. <laughs> Licking my hands. <laughs> Get back in there. You naughty tongue. <laughs> right, like, oh my gosh, you're, you're out of control, mate. Control yourself. I remember the, the feeling that was in the room. I would say it was a presence that I'd never felt before, where all in one moment I was terrified, but at the same time, I'd never felt as whole as I had in that moment. I remember with my hands tight, clamped over my face, saying in my mind, God, I, I recognize that it's you. Can you please make it stop because I'm terrified? It subsides and I go to sleep in the morning. I, I get up and I ask the lady who we're staying with, who's, it's like six o'clock in the morning. This is how committed they are, right? Like it's six o'clock in the morning. She's sitting at the breakfast bar reading her Bible. I say, hey, you wouldn't happen to know what the word Eli means, would you? She goes, yeah, well, I'm reading it right now in Matthew chapter 27. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. It means my God, my God, or my father, my father. Why are you asking me that? She said, oh, <laughs> just woke up saying it over and over again, you know. Oh, did anything else happen? She said, I said no, <laughs> definitely not, right? They were the most amazing people. I went home back to New Zealand a few days later and I spent the next five years. I went to church once, right? I went to, went to church once and it was great, but I told two friends that I was a believer, become a born-again Christian. They're like, oh, great. Uh, have this. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but it was this odd thing where I couldn't deny the reality of God. But I couldn't grasp how much he wanted me to change. Because I thought that it was all up to me, right? Like, God, you want me to change so much. I just, I, I can't do it. And I gave myself to a lifestyle or a way of doing life that I would say, I, 
I don't know if I could say that I was addicted to anything, but I was addicted to, to that way of life where I wouldn't operate without some kind of substance to give me pleasure, right? To give me fulfillment. And I remember when it all started to collapse in on me, when I realized that no matter what I had or how much I had it, it was, it was failing, right? The things that I were depending on for sustenance and fulfillment in life felt like so much sand running through my fingers. I remember a friend of mine that I'd had since primary school came to my house because I was so desperately lonely. And as I opened the door, I was fighting with this urge not to embrace him because that wasn't our culture, right? That wasn't what we did. So I restricted myself to shaking his hand, which was so out of character that he looked at it. He slapped it away. He said, where's the drugs? Bro, what are you doing? Where's the drugs? He came in. We, 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 we did what we do. He went again. Two days later, I'm in the house. And I'm just, like, all of that started to impact me in a way that felt like all of these pieces were falling off me. And I realized that as I watched home and away on the television by myself. And I was broken. But I became so aware of my brokenness that I couldn't put it back together. And in the midst of these tears running down my face, I felt so ashamed. Even though no one else could see me, because of this weakness that was manifesting in my world. So I just became angry. But no one was around to hear my rage. So I was yelling at the ceiling, tears streaming down my face. I'm so weak and useless. Yeah, screw the world. I thought no one was listening as I'm trying to gather up all of this brokenness and make sense of it, this one presiding thought, this one clarity of thought that I had that made perfect sense in the midst of all of that torment, it's like, I know how to fix it. Just end your life. It makes perfect sense, right? Like, oh, genius, genius move. It's not, it's the worst, worst decision ever. But I remember that just solidifying what that looked like in my mind, exactly how that was going to take place in the midst of my loneliness, my grief, my anger, still raging at the ceiling. And suddenly there was this feeling, this presence that came flooding back into the room. And instantly I recognized that same thing from all those years ago in my bedroom in the middle of the night. I said, God, is that you? His response in that moment was a whisper that felt like it reverberated around the entirety of my being. As he said, what about me? Right? Don't you believe in me? 
we had this conversation where I fell to my knees in the middle of the kitchen. He said, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting for you to come to the end of yourself. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Got my hands out in front of me saying, God, would you take my life? Because I never wanted it to be like this. Would you do something good with that which is broken? There was this transaction that took place where in the morning I woke up, I opened the top drawer beside my bed filled with all the various paraphernalia. I looked at it and I went, man, I've got no desire. I've got no desire for anything that's contained in the earth. I remember the joy of throwing it in the garbage and feeling the reality of it not having any attachment to me any longer. I'm like, wow, God, you're so good. I went to church on the Sunday. I found that I already had some friends there, which was awesome. We're going to land this in just a moment. Encountering God is what we're designed for. I think Christianity devoid of experience or encounter is the most boring thing in the world. And that's not a slight. I mean, I've got some friends whom I so admire and look up to. And they say, but I haven't had some type of encounter. It's not about just feelings. I understand that. I remember as an early believer being, you know, reading the stories in Scripture, Peter walking on the water and trying to replicate that, right? not out of any theological understanding, but simply out of a passion that says, God, if I had faith and I could walk on water like, like, like Peter did, maybe you'd meet me in the middle of this lake. It's a long way out there, but I'm willing to give it a go. I would run, I would tiptoe, I would... You know, all the, everything you could think of to try to walk on the water, I was doing it, but it wasn't working. But I felt his pleasure. I remember walking on the beach in Invercargill one night, and there was this, this, this stupid big log, that had, bushy log that had been washed up on the shore. And I walked past it. Moses and the burning bush, right? Like, they just, I was like... Oh my gosh, what if I stood here long enough that God set it on fire and spoke to me? This is amazing. It got so cold. I had to go back and get the vehicle. I pulled it up, it got dark. I turned the headlights on because it looked more like it was going to go on fire. I went to sleep. The tide was lapping at the front tire. I said, oh man. I missed it. I missed it. You know, there's a passion that's awoken on the inside of us as we encounter him. There's so many moments in my life that I could point to and go, God, I chased you. I pursued you in this moment and it felt like nothing happened. Yet at the same time, 
It doesn't matter because I don't want one opportunity to pass by where I get to encounter you in a new way. I think one of the most powerful insights that we get in Scripture is when blind Bartimaeus says Jesus is coming. He can't see what's happening. He's, He's heard some reports, but we don't know exactly what he knows. But he begins to cry out. Can we get the musos to come this morning, please? Jesus, son of David, do not pass me by. Everyone says to him, Bartimaeus, shut up, you fool. He doesn't want to hear from you. You're, you're, You're making a scene. You're embarrassing yourself. But it says, but he cried out all the more. And they're crying out. We can't help but capture his attention. I don't know if you've ever been through a season or maybe you're currently in one where it feels like your, your, your prayer life is dry and lifeless. But I'm just throwing noise at the ceiling. I want to say to you prophetically this morning, he's coming. I know that he's already here. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But I just believe that there's breakthrough for some people here in the room this morning. I was going to end this in a different way. There's two things that I actually want to do now. If there's anyone here, why don't we stand to our feet? If there's anyone here who in any way, shape, or form struggles with an addiction, and it could be an addiction to anything. We, there's, there's no judgment on someone coming forward because we don't know what that is. It could be money. It could be power, right? You could be addicted to collecting duvets. I don't know, right? It doesn't need to be the most awful thing in the world. But if there's something that you know has got a hold of your heart, something that's got hooks in your world that you go, man, I've tried so many times to put this down. But I know what that's like. To go 50 times a day, I don't want this anymore, but I can't leave it alone. But I know his power to set us free. If you're here this morning and you feel or you've felt any of that in your world, I'd love just an opportunity to pray with you. I just feel a great sense of breakthrough here this morning. And the other thing that I just feel prophetically, I know that you've been through a season of prayer and fasting as a church and that there's this, I can feel it in the room, right? There's this, this increased desire, this increased hunger for the things of God. But I can just feel and you don't, I know sometimes we don't, we, we don't need an altar call to, to respond to God. You can do that right where you're at. But I just feel this morning that if something of passion has been stirred within you, and, and not even just this morning, but as a church, as you've gone through this season together, as you've stepped into something deeper in God, I want you to come forward this morning as well. Let's do the first one on that side and the other one over here. Where you've heard, you feel the invitation of God to an annoying degree 
right, hey, would you spend some time in prayer with me? The Holy Spirit says, like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. But I think there's some people here who the invitation hasn't gone away for. No matter how many times we say no, he continues to say yes. No matter how many times we get distracted by something else, he's got more for us. Come on, there's people here this morning, and you've felt this in the, in, the, in the prayer room, right? And whatever that is for you, could be the beach, could be your vehicle, could literally be you closing the door in the toilet and going, this is the only private place of God. And I can hear his invitation, and I don't want to say no anymore. And as you spend time in that space, time begins to lose all meaning. As you realize, right, He's not, in, he's, he's not responding to your invitation to come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, now. You're, inv- you're responding to his invitation to linger a little bit longer. God, I've prayed through my list. Father, I've said my prayers. God, I've, 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 I've regurgitated all the stuff in my soul. And you're inviting me to stay longer still. Come on, why don't we sing this morning? I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'm going to pray for some people. You've got a prayer team to come. and.